Do you mind if I smoke? It won't affect the test. All right, I'm going to ask you a series of questions. Just relax and answer them as simply as you can. You've got a little boy. He shows you his butterfly collection, including the killing jar. I'd take him to the doctor. You're listening to a podcast. Suddenly, you realize there's a wasp crawling on your arm. Which podcast? It doesn't matter. Just answer the questions, please. Which podcast? Um, now playing the movie review podcast hosted by Stuart, Jacob, and Brock. The movie series being reviewed is the Philip K. Dick series with such classic films as Blade Runner, Total Recall, and Minority Report. I go to nowplayingpodcast.com every Friday to download a new episode of the series. You hear a warning that these podcasts will be full of spoilers. I hit pause, watch the movie, and then listen to the podcast. You're reading a magazine. You come across a full-page photo of a naked woman. Shh, with the questions. The podcast is starting. Today we're talking about Paycheck, starring Ben Affleck, Aaron Eckhart, Calm Fior, Uma Thurman, Paul Giamatti, Joe Morton, Michael C. Hall, and directed by John Woo. This is Brock, co-host of Now Playing. Stuart in LA. Hello, this is Jacob. How are you all doing today? I'm trying to do my best uh, vanilla, bland Ben Affleck impersonation there. Oh, I got it. I, was, I got it. I was trying it, yeah. to capture the spirit of his acting abilities. I mean, I uh, thought Harrison Ford's narration was bad. <laughs> I, I think this was an homage to it. I actually <laughs> think Affleck studied the Blade Runner outtake of voiceover to try and nail the dead-eyed, soulless, the empty suit, if you will, that he so clearly inhabits in Paycheck. An incredible irony, the movie's called Paycheck. He clearly just took this one for it. I hope it was a big one. I mean, really, I hope someone got compensated for this train wreck. Could we all just say right off the bat... <laughs> This is not going to be a good one. This is not going to be a glowing podcast where we talk about the positives and a few of the negatives. But the good thing is, Stuart, though, I think some of our audience probably have seen this one as opposed to Screamers or Imposter. This one got a pretty big release, has some pretty big names in it at the time when it was released. I'm hoping that other people have sat through this already. They don't have to go seek it out to watch just to listen to our podcast. They've already seen it and therefore don't have to worry about seeing it. They shouldn't have to seek it out too hard. <laughs> I, you know, I'm right. sure it's going to be found on any blockbuster shelf or easily accessible through Netflix. I, I don't think this one's going to be hard to find. Stuart, why don't we start off with a plot summary for those of the people who haven't seen the movie yet or those of us who have finished a long time and they got their memory erased of this movie, that you can remind them exactly what it is. I'll try, but even I'm not sure I can piece together the <laughs> fragments they're calling a movie. Uh, <laughs> ben Affleck plays Michael Jennings, a consultant engineer who he basically takes prototypes of patented breakthrough technologies from one company, and then he sells the improved version to a rival company for about half a million dollars. That's his asking fee. Actually, he's a reverse engineer, and I thought he did was he was stealing the patented technology just so they don't have to do all the work and research. That He figures out how it works and then goes on from there. He's stealing the ideas of other companies. Uh, we'll debate that in a bit. <laughs> <laughs> 
Because <laughs> that's not... Boy, am I glad I interjected. Yeah, that's, wow, that's we not can't even agree it. on the plot here. This, this is gonna be... <laughs> I, yeah, well, it's, you know, it is a, a puzzle. So in the beginning of the movie, uh, we, we see him working for two months trying to turn a 3D computer monitor into an even more impressive holographic projection monitor to this company called Nexum, who is the c- computer manufacturer that hires him, and that they're going to go rush this in production and take over the market of computer monitors, all thanks to his work. To assure his clients that he will not turn around and sell the things that he makes – to third parties that he will, won't keep doing this, Jennings always agrees to have his memory swiped. They actually burn away all of his time that he worked at their laboratories. They literally go in there like a video game and burn off the little nodes on the brain that are for those two months so that he can not know what he did. And they have assurance that he's not going to betray them. So basically, this guy Jennings only knows life as a series of vacations and luxuries in between his corporate gigs. And so he's just claiming he's happy not to be bogged down with office politics and the, you know, that troubling scientific research. He's just one big party happy guy. Enter corporate honcho James Rethrick, who was his college roomie and now runs a company called Alcom. And he asked Ben Affleck's character to take a three-year assignment working on a top-secret machine for Alcom. So we jump from 2004 to 2007. Jennings finishes his job, has his memory wiped, only to discover that for some reason he forfeits stocks in the company which he was being used to pay for his three years of work and that he's essentially done the job for free. The only thing he's walking away with is an envelope of 20 random items that seemingly have little monetary value. But he's wrong about that because the contents actually prove invaluable as Jennings goes on the run from federal agents and Alcom security guards who are chasing him for reasons that are a little cloudy to me. But the feds think that he is responsible for the murder of another scientist and Rethrick wants him killed before he pieces together the secret of the machine that he built in the three years that were erased. It turns out Jennings actually built a machine that can predict the future. And when he saw, using this future-telling machine, what became of the outcome company that they create nuclear war, Jennings started a plan on how he can take down the company after his memory is wiped. And thus, he put together the envelope of things that he is going to use in the immediate future to escape his captors and bring down the company. So you have lots of crazy scenes of Jennings trying to outrun and outsmart guys with machine guns with a bunch of trinkets, a pack of cigarettes and sunglasses, and he's escaping all sorts of crazy scenarios. He reconnects with Rachel, a biologist played by Uma Thurman, who he fell in love with while working at Alcom, and together the two of them sabotage the future-telling machine and avoid Jennings. He keeps having a prophecy in which he's killed by sniper fire. They help him avoid this destined future that he's supposed to have and live happily forever after in a greenhouse. That about it? (laughs) With Paul Giamatti, yeah. Can't have a dream, a a happy ending without Paul Giamatti in a dream. I I gotta say, this is the... Paul Giamatti is the only thing I enjoyed in this movie. I, I love Paul Giamatti. I think he's a great character actor. And so I, I smiled when he was on the screen, at least. 
which is uh, literally what about four minutes i mean he's yes, in three scenes unfortunately <laughs> he's in a scene in the beginning a scene in the middle and a scene at the end he is not a big role even though he's supposed to be the man that helps ben affleck's character wipe his memory he is not a part of any of that when the plot actually kicks in that man came to play he, he was given crap and he made somehow made gold out of it for his tiny bit of scenes and this is right this is before paul giamatti started becoming the lead in movies he was still doing the supporting roles so Sideways had just come out the previous month, and who would have thought that this little movie about wine connoisseurs would outgross and be a bigger <laughs> cultural phenomenon than the big action Ben Affleck movie? But indeed, right. everyone still remembers Sideways. Nobody knows what the hell Paycheck is. Right. So there you go. Uh, I agree. Apology Amati was a joy to watch in this as he is in everything else. So well, let's get right into this because um, funny thing – this is not, I'm not trying to be funny here. I actually think I might have seen this movie before, <laughs> but I completely forgot. <laughs> it was burned from your memory. It wouldn't take much. You wouldn't have to go in there with a computer. To, I mean, this thing, it's, it's, it's vaporous. It evaporates as you watch it. I mean, it literally erases itself. I think when I pulled the disc out, it was blank. I mean, there's literally like no movie after the credits roll. This movie is one of those kinds of movies that you have to sit there and grin in that it thinks it's so smart, but it's not smart at all. Mm. And it surprises me that when you present this script to people like John Woo and Ben Affleck, you know, you would think all of them lead this script and say, this is going to be a great movie, what a great idea, what a great concept, what a great thing. And then this happens because this clearly has potential I don't know where this thing went wrong. I think the far-fetchedness of the folder's contents and how it all works out is what really I think might have – could have been a big problem. Let me put it this way. You guys saw Face Off, right? I did. You yes. both saw Face I Off. I actually did You haven't seen mm -mm. it. Okay, Stuart. Um, you know the plot of Face Off? I am familiar with the face exchange between Nick Cage and Travolta. Okay, so if you give the movie its gigantic conceit that these two people can switch faces and never mind their bodies right. magically transform afterwards and all that jazz, if you give them that, you can have a hell of a great time watching this movie because it's just over the top, lots and lots of fun. But you have to give them the big, 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 big thing. This one, you can't. You can't give it to them because the first 20 minutes of this movie, when you're watching Ben Affleck go through the setup and Aaron Eckhart doing what they're doing, you are looking at them like, you guys are getting paid to be in a movie. Please show up and do a job. I, I just feel that these guys didn't set up what I wanted from a movie that was going to ask me to believe that a folder full of contents in the most MacGyverish, menial ways can make the difference in every single situation. I had issues right off the bat, right at the start of this movie, Brock. You talked about with Face Off, if you could buy that you know, initial concept, it's a fun movie. Here you have this reverse engineer, and I've known a couple of reverse engineers in my life. They're very smart people. What they do uh, is, is borderline illegal and very tough. 
But right off the bat, you, you have the scene that's almost like the beginning of Minority Report. It's not quite yeah. the iPad where he's touching the screen with his fingers, but he, it's more of a uh, a stylus, you know, Palm Pilot thing. He's got a stylus pen. He's imaged, you know, this screen, this 3D display. You got to have me buy in that they have this fancy, you know, uh, software that he could use to reverse engineer this 3D display. That they have technology where they could go into a person's brain and burn out certain memories. But they don't have 3D technology on their computer screens. Or their t- I know this is 2003. We hadn't had Avatar yet. We hadn't had Step Up 3D yet. But <laughs> come on. You're, you're really going to try to sell me on, oh, this guy made a hologram when you got mind-erasing technology? I mean, r- right off the bat, th- there's just some disconnects in this movie that make it a hard sell for me. I, I, like you said, I could give it one gimme, and it might be a big yeah. gimme. But when right off the bat like this... I'm already got my guard up ready to tear this movie apart because of that. And also, Ben Affleck's doing the Minority Report, moving the things around, but somehow Tom Cruise just sold it better, didn't he? Okay, let's talk about Ben Affleck, (laughs) because I have no way of talking about the movie's myriad of problems without first starting there. This is the most woefully inadequate actor we've had in a Philip K. Dick movie yet. He is terrible in this film. He, he can wear glasses all he wants. I do not believe he is a smart engineer. I will never believe that. Ben Affleck is the average guy who's kind of cute and charms the girls and likes the Red Sox, but is not someone that is smart or heroic or does anything. I mean, he's a slacker. The guy is a total slacker, and I just don't think of him as being able to pull off this kind of role from the get-go, and he doesn't match it. I mean, he looks like he's struggling. The whole time he's on screen, he's struggling to stay in character and deliver these lines. I don't think he understands what's going on in the movie, and if he doesn't, how the hell am I going to follow it? Second of all, his character makes no sense. You talk about the fact that he's doing something borderline illegal. I don't feel like it's written that way. The guy walks into a store and buys the 3D technology, correct? Yeah, it's already released. If it's already released, why are they having Ben Affleck do this? Shouldn't they have already had a team of people? I mean, that company, if they wanted to stay ahead, they should have stolen the plans of this. I would have been much more invested if this had been corporate espionage and Ben Affleck had gone in there and seen a prototype and then did the reverse engineering. But it just, to me, you needed someone more of a rascal. This guy was way too pure. He didn't really do anything. I mean, I don't, where was the illegality of it? After you buy something, you take it home, dismantle it, play with it for two months, and then come up with a projection system? I don't think that's illegal. I think that that requires an enormous amount of brain power that Ben Affleck does not have or project. I thought the reverse engineering thing was clearly just a way for another company, competing company, to rip off someone else's technology quickly. That's what I thought they were hiring him to do. The fact that he came up with a hologram projector uh, was above and beyond what he was tasked to do, but that's just what the movie is telling me. I always think back to companies like Kobe, which are like Sony, that have the same kind of font, that basically is the same thing, but they rip off you know, Sony's and they change one little thing to avoid a patent suit. You know what I mean? So that's what I'm thinking he's doing here. But your point is not that. Your point is Ben Affleck selling you that he's a scientist. And after Denise Richards in The World Is Not Enough, 
I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, the people they call scientists in movies. I don't. <laughs> no, I mean I get that Hollywood will will take their matinee idols and give them glasses and say you're really smart, and and we have to accept <laughs> that. But I mean, even as a movie star, you mentioned Tom Cruise, not my favorite actor either. But he, you're right. He will sell you on his unironic heroicism and ben affleck can't even fill out that suit when he's standing there with the kendo sticks trying to do karate and all of this i'm like you look ridiculous you look, you look like an a yeah daredevil yeah in that red pleather suit i'm like you look like an a that just walked into an s&m <laughs> shop and said hey i want to be sexy it's ridiculous you look ridiculous so the problem isn't the character; it's the person who got the, to play the character. It's my and, biggest and that, problem yeah, with the movie. And, and unless, unless Ben Affleck is uh, playing some loser in Goodwill Hunting, I, I think I agree with you. I don't think he's ever pulled off any other role that I've in any you know the few movies I've seen him in. He's bland. He's vanilla. He doesn't have any presence. I'm trying to think back and, and think of any of his lines or deliveries in this movie, and I, I come up with nothing. It's it's totally forgettable. Yeah, uh, Chasing Amy, I liked him in a lot. And, yeah, average uh, guy roles. I'm not dissing Ben Affleck as a talentless person, but he he should know his limits, and his limits are I'm the guy next door. That's it. I am not an action star. I am not a brainiac. I am not someone that really can carry a movie. I'm the schlubby guy who likes baseball and beer and girls like to hang out and talk to, and that's – that's it. That's the roles you take. You don't take the paycheck. You don't do this movie with John Woo where you're going to be fighting with kendo sticks and driving motorcycles through Seattle traffic. I mean, it's just you look ridiculous, and he really does here. I think in the right role, Ben Affleck can be effective, and I'm not dissing Ben Affleck as an actor at all because I'm not defending him as an actor either. I'm not going to go to the mat on that, but – You're going movie, to lose if you do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's – you know, what's the point of that? But I'm going to say in the right role, he can be effective. This is not the right role. He is not good in this movie because he's completely miscast, and what he brings to the role does not help the movie. Let's take Aaron Eckhart. We've all seen him in The Dark Knight. I, he didn't seem like he was acting in this either. Like, almost everyone but Paul Giamatti in here just seems so bland. Like, I don't know what was going through anyone's mind during filming this. My theory is that since we know Aaron Eckhart can be effective, especially when given a good script and a good director maybe we should be throwing some of this at the script and the director because Uma Thurman also, I'm not saying she's awesome in every role she's in either, but we've all seen her be fantastic in movies. I think maybe some of this should be thrown at this screenwriter and the and the director. Oh, we'll get to them. Believe me, I'm not done yet. I'm just starting with Ben Affleck. That's just me getting... Getting the role is like you've already faded this movie to not succeed by casting someone incapable in the lead. Yes. <laughs> yes. But there are, now we can talk about the problems with the story itself. And, and some of these are problems I have with the, the Philip K. Dick story. They're inherent and problematic in there. By modernizing this story, it, it, Philip K. Dick's story, it was set in the future. You really have created this scenario between the federal agents and the corporation that makes no sense. In the story, it was a futuristic world in which governments kept toppling and corporations were the only thing that were maintaining and there was a real animosity between the secret police and the rhetoric company and 
none of that really makes sense here. Instead, they create some bogus murder story. Can you explain to me anything about what that plot was and how who this other physicist was that died and Ben Affleck's character's name ended up on his patents? What did that even mean? I saw that mentioned in the movie, and I'm like, I'm just moving on. I'm not hitting rewind to figure this out. Correct. It <laughs> doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it makes yeah. no sense why federal agents are pursuing Ben Affleck's character at all. It makes sense in the story. It makes no sense. You don't even need them. This is a story in which, yet again, a man is put up against a system that predicts the future, and he tries to show that it's not set in stone. It's Terminator. It's Minority Report. It should have been that movie. You just needlessly complicate things when he's running from the cops as well as from Rethrick's men. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't understand the patent thing either. And what gets me about the whole thing, and from that moment on in the movie, I'm scratching my head about why. Here, why would they kill the other doctor he worked with but not kill Ben Affleck? Why on earth would he let Ben Affleck walk out without his memory? That doesn't make any stinking sense if he killed the other guy. Again, I, I was confused when I saw it, and I did not care to figure it out. It, it didn't make any sense to me, and I'm like, okay, whatever. You know, I already bought into that they don't have 3D technology, but they can burn brain cells. You know, why not? Buy <laughs> Boy, you brain. didn't get far into this movie before you turned <laughs> off, did you? <laughs> because they let the other guy out, and he fell off a building after he was let out. Yeah, they imply he was, he was pushed to his death, and they made right. it look like a suicide. So they're going to do the same thing. Apparently, they saw in the future machine, they, they try to explain later in the movie, that they saw in the future machine that Ben Affleck was going to be killed by somebody the henchman guy who might as well be Michael Ironside, he was waiting for him to get confirmation that the guy died in the federal building or whatever. It doesn't make any freaking sense why they just didn't kill them both in the center. Was it because people might remember they're supposed to be released after three years? After three years, people would forget that you're around anyway or something and say, oh, he went off doing a job and then we never saw him again. Well, and that's, that's one of my problems here is with Paul G. Motti, him and Ben Affleck, they're kind of like partners. It, right. it seems like Paul Giamatti's the one that, you know, he'll go in and burn all the memories. There's no scene here where, you know, Affleck and Giamatti sit down and Affleck explains why he's breaking protocol to get his mind erased a different way. Because that's what happens is after that three years, the company erases, all calm erases his mind instead of letting Giamatti do it. Why is he breaking protocol all of a sudden when it's the biggest paycheck of his life, when he's got to sense there's some kind of danger going on with, with the kind of security going on in this place. Why? It's just plot hole after plot hole after plot hole. If you have a machine that can see the future, can't you tell that Ben Affleck's going to cause all these problems for you and just kill him as soon as he's done fixing the machine? Yeah, there isn't an end to these illogical questions, but let's check with, with Jennings just for a moment because this character, even beyond the fact that it's being played by Ben Affleck, and I've already voiced that I'm not a fan here in this circumstance, I don't understand this character. You're telling me he is a genius engineer. You could give him tape recorder and he hands you back a CD player. Like, he's that good, and he's making half a million dollars? That's it? 
Like, why isn't he inventing things? Why isn't he the one starting up and doing these things? He's way being lowballed for this. And I don't know why he would take the risk of, uh, for half a million dollars, he's going to have somebody go in there and burn away his brain cells. This could kill his asset. He's supposedly smart, and he's going to risk losing his mind just so on the assurance that the company doesn't think he'll use their information against them later. I mean, isn't that what lawyers for the whole setup doesn't make any sense about why this Jennings guy would operate the way that he does. And yes, once the plot gets going, he drops Paul Giamatti. He doesn't do the burning away uh, the Giamatti way. He he does it on <laughs> Rethrick's way. And and I, if I were Giamatti, I wouldn't come back. He he goes back to Giamatti like, I need help. Help me figure this out. I'd be like, screw you. You betrayed me. Uh, we were partners, and then you went off and did your own thing, and this is your problem. And I'm going to just throw one more in because it's, you know, why not have a bigger bonfire as we're throwing a logic <laughs> upon a logic into the pyre. Let's talk about learning. The only way that you learn is by doing things and seeing the results and building upon that. If they're burning away everything <laughs> that he ever learns, he's not going to keep creating new things. He is not going to be able to build on that. The whole idea that you can burn away everything that he's ever created and that he can keep coming back with great creations is more than absurd. I cannot swallow that. It's not necessary for this story. I don't think they needed the memory wipe. I feel like what this movie was set up to do, the quote-unquote fun of the movie, was the idea that someone holds a bag full of stuff that seemingly has no purpose and then is able to use them sequentially to figure out his own identity and what he is... I guess you do need... I guess you... All right. If he doesn't know what he did for the last three years, I guess they have to have the memory wipe. It's better than hitting his head and being well, amnesia. Well, here, here, here's the thing, Stuart, is the book, the, the short story, it starts right off with him getting, you know, it's not called all calm in the no. story, but it, it starts off right in that situation. You didn't set it up with this creating this hologram machine, which I think overcomes some of those problems. Hey, here's a huge job. You know, we're going to have to erase your mind. We have that technology to erase minds. If you agree to it, you know, you'll work for us for three years. We'll erase your mind. Don't even make it like a setup where he gets his mind erased every time. You just need it to be this one time, and it works. I agree. It has to be a one-time deal. It's illogical to think that he would do this for Kobe, that he would do this for these lowball players. I don't know why he would agree to do that every time. Why risk that to your brain? Well, and here's my other problem is, again, they make him a reverse engineer. In the story, he's just a mechanic. He, he's just right. there to help build this machine. He keeps making these points at the beginning of the film about being a reverse engineer. Sometimes it's just easier to work backwards, and he always improves whatever he's working on. Two big points that he brings up. I'm expecting him to figure out pretty quickly what the end point is. And then working backwards and going, okay, I know what every piece uh, of these 20 trinkets are for. Instead, he spends the whole movie bumbling around. So much stuff happens by happenstance, happenstance. Uh, with Jennings here. Oh. Yeah, oh, it's all yeah. coincidences. I want to see a Tony Stark in this role. And what I mean is one of the great things about Tony Stark as a protagonist in the Iron Man movies is that he's cocky. 
that he is smart, that he's full of confidence. He never feels he's in danger, and it brings a, a certain swagger to his role. It brings a you know a certain enjoyment and, and pleasure to watching that kind of character where they know they can get out of the situation no matter how tricky he is. When you have this person that's supposed to be like one of the greatest reverse engineers, have him figure out the end goal pretty early on, and then just boom. He knows what he's supposed to do and show some cleverness instead of Jennings bumbling around for 90 minutes going, okay, am I going to use the stick of bubble gum or this paper clip or uh, this lottery ticket for this situation? And by accident, he uses another thing and it works. Yeah, I want to talk about this folder full of junk. I really do. Uh, Well, uh, let's talk about a a given scenario. This is how he gets out of – I think this is the worst scene in the movie. This is how he gets out of a bind after the federal agents taser him, take him captive, strap him to this chair, possibly are going to kill him, are grilling him all about what he did with Rethrick's company. And the way he gets out of it is one of the feds takes the pack of cigarettes from his envelope smokes it in the room, sets off a fire alarm. The most sensitive fire alarms ever. like jet streams, giant like rocket ship streams of exhaust pouring out of the ceiling to put out the cigarette. And then it also triggers an automatic unlock on the chair. And Ben Affleck then uses the super cool sunglasses to see through the smoke when everyone else is blinded and run out the door. This is the kind of plotting we're talking about. This is how these trinkets that he's mailed to himself have helped him. Well, and he knows he mailed these trinkets to him because the watch is an exact fit. I'm sorry. (laughs) Aren't watches, like, adjustable? Who gets a custom (laughs) wrist-size watch? Like, it makes no sense. You know how they could have figured out he mailed it to himself? Exactly how Schwarzenegger figured out in Total Recall. Have him write out the same words, and and that writing would have matched. It would have been a cleverer way to do it. What killed me about the smoke scene, besides everything you just said, Stuart, which is dead on, what I noticed when I was watching it was, what made him think to even put on the glasses in the first place? In that situation, when the smoke is coming down, did he know they were special glasses? I didn't know they were special glasses. He didn't indicate he knew they were special glasses. But at that moment, he said, hmm, I'm going to put on these glasses. It didn't make any sense. No. I think that's going to be a a theme running throughout this podcast. (laughs) It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, so he mails himself 20 seemingly junky things in an envelope. Can I just say... And he does this instead of accepting his payday, which is outrageous to me. Why can't you do both? Like, what is Rethrick thinking? Saying, hey, we were going to give him $90 million in shares, but he just wants this envelope of junk. Should we do it? Oh, sure. I mean, like, shouldn't they be on to him? Like, it's a ridiculous conceit. It's a problem I had with the story. It's a bigger problem I have here. Yeah, if Jennings was so smart, why doesn't he just take the pay, but also come up with this plan to overthrow everything, too? Duh, and this is what I mean about him being wholesome. If he were more of a crafty, snaky, businessman type, he would have his cake and eat it, too. But here, they seem to be always wanting to make sure that you think of Ben Affleck as being noble. And his nobility here is just, it's ludicrous. This man is a pirate. He takes other people's technology and changes it for profit. You can't make him a saint. I'm sorry. It just doesn't work for this character. Yeah, you can help spin it if you want to. I actually thought about this because it blew my mind too, but the only thing I can come up with was that since he knew the company was evil and was going to do bad things, since he knew he was going to get killed, 
he had to make sure he wasn't going to get killed. So the reason he didn't take the money anyway was because he didn't want the blood money on his hands, yada, yada, that kind of thing. What you're talking about, the nobility, is the same thing I came up with, but it doesn't fit because he still uses the technology to get ahead anyway at the end of the movie. You know what I mean? So Yeah, what well, we haven't mentioned, the big factor that we haven't gotten into yet is the reason why he knows any of this, the reason why he puts these 20 objects into an envelope is because he has built a machine that, that sees the future. And that's another hard thing to swallow. How does that work? I mean, they have some gobbledygook talking about you can see around the curvature of the universe and stare back at yourself if you have a laser in a mirror. And that there's something to do with palm reading. He has a palm reading statue in his apartment. And then he, when he what put, was that? He, when, he puts was... His, when he puts his hand down on the machine, it like reads it like... Okay, so you're telling me he built a machine in which it reads your palm, predicts the future, and he's going to think that it works? I wouldn't think that anything I got off that was true. And there's no reason for them to think that it is true other than the fact that Ben Affleck doesn't build shoddy material, apparently. Okay, they, the machine shows you the future. It also shows you different edited footage of the future. <laughs> it shows you different camera angles. It doesn't show it from your point of view. It shows it from like a third-person point of view. So that doesn't make any sense either. If you're reading the palm to see the future, press a whole bunch of buttons so you can control whose future you see. I didn't even get that yeah, either. I didn't understand. Do you only see your future? Because whenever they show someone use this thing, they only see their future. And yet Jennings saw the future of the entire world leading up to this nuclear war somehow. Again, uh, yeah. potholes need to fill this in. Oh, yeah, my um, God. It's just so porous here now. There's so many holes. <laughs> Stuart, I literally laughed out loud when they said the line, a lens that allows you to see around the curvature of the universe. Mm-hmm. When they said the words of the universe, I laughed out loud. I think people down the block could have heard me. The universe? The entire universe? Not just the planet? The universe. Seriously. Okay, Ben <laughs> Affleck might be able to build a Princess Leia, you're the only one, projection system for your home computer. All right. I swallowed it. I didn't like the taste, but I ate it. But I am not going to believe that man can see the entire universe, bend it around a mirror, and see anybody's future that he wants to, including a nuclear apocalypse created by the company that he's working for. Oh, that is just too second-grade writing class assignment for me to swallow. That is it's, infantile. infantile. <laughs> I read a lot of Stephen Hawking you know, who gets into this kind of stuff, and so I – kind of bought it because i get what they're they're talking about i mean this stuff is all very theoretical yes but there there's no way you're going to build a laser on earth that could do this that was my problem i i could buy into the <laughs> physics because it's based on some theories out there but not not the execution they did i didn't buy we're going to build a time machine that literally reads your palm with a <laughs> laser or something that like that just makes no sense that's yeah there's no scientific facts to back up palmistry i'm sorry <laughs> fortune tellers of the world and gypsies but we haven't been able to prove that even works so why he would build a multi-million dollar three-year scientific project based on that premise is 
painful. I'm angered that I don't have a hero to root for. I'm angered that the science is so phony baloney. I'm angered that plots, threads aren't coming together, that nothing seems to make sense. But this is a John Woo movie, and a logic is almost a part of his filmmaking style. So all that I really need for this to happen is kick-ass action, right? If you could just give me some good action, I'll forgive almost all of this, right? I thought Woo did, did a get terrible it? job here. A terrible, terrible job. Aside from a motorcycle chase through traffic, which we've seen those kinds of things a hundred times, I couldn't have known that this was John Woo. If they hadn't pointed guns at each other's heads, I wouldn't have known this was a John Woo movie. Yeah, the Mexican standoffs, man, were just like numerous. Why don't they just shoot each other? Because that's how you know it's John Woo. I mean, I would not have recognized this style. It could have been anyone making this movie. It's so impersonal. I mean, you think about those Hong Kong movies. They're real good stunts. There's real people out there doing incredible things. I, the action scenes in this one, it's like people firing machine guns and Ben Affleck outrunning them. I mean, that's how bad it is. <laughs> yeah, not only that, when Uma Thurman gets into the mix and she starts helping out her boyfriend, whatever, she's not surprised or scared or anything about what's going on. She just goes with the flow. At this point, Ben Affleck has been running for his life for a while. She just gets in the mix of this. She got not one scared moment from her not one freaking out nothing to the contrary she throws off her helmet at somebody i'm like you should probably keep that lady you're just flying through traffic at 90 miles an hour with a semi behind you i don't think you should throw your helmet like a weapon Oh, that told me that the stunt person's job is over you know they had the helmets on because <laughs> they weren't doing their own stunts it just blows my mind that they couldn't simply just throw in a quick scene of like oh my god they're shooting at us or something and they're talking to each other on a motorcycle as if they can hear each other with helmets on? Uh, They're cracking jokes at that. You know, yeah. this is a thankless role, this Rachel uh, throwback to Blade Runner. There's there's several little dick inside jokes and references to things done before, but the love interest is another Rachel. It's a thankless role, but I got to say Uma Thurman flops even in it. I mean, I feel like it's a badly written role, and I think she's bad in it. I I'm wondering if the problem is maybe that the – performers did not understand the material and Wu was not explaining it to them. I'm wondering if she literally did this movie because Quentin Tarantino told her John Wu is one of the greatest you should work for him and then realized when she showed up on set she didn't understand anything that she was supposed to do because that's what? how the performance comes out. We're expected to believe that she's a biologist and can I just ask why is Rethrick having a biologist on staff. What does this company do? They build future-telling machines. They build gardens that rain on themselves. I mean, I couldn't understand why she was even there to begin with, what her work, how it tied in with anything that the company's mission statement was about. I don't understand why she's a biologist. She's doing weather, and or I could see she's doing plant work. Wouldn't she be some sort of she, you know, she could just pull out her poison ivy suit from a few years earlier and just go, go to town. <laughs> Perhaps but, the well, only movie worse than this. Here's my deal with Uma Thurman in this. First of all, I don't know if you guys are familiar with uh, Mr. Rogers and his uh, neighborhood. <laughs> it's a make-believe. Yeah, okay. Did she not look like Lady Elaine Fairchild, <laughs> that real creepy puppet with the, like, frazzed out hair and like the drunken red nose and she i don't know what makeup was doing with her in this film she just looked rough it's uma thurman it's not hard to make her look good and they just make her look awful so so there's that one of the things i noticed about uma thurman when i've liked her in a movie kill bill pulp fiction even batman and robin is that she's at her best 
when she's just having over-the-top fun. And she doesn't really get that chance in this movie. It's so just straight-laced. There's only one scene towards the end. You get this action scene, and she's controlling this robotic arm that's, like, grabbing guns out of people's hands and doing jujitsu with a, a bow staff. Like, that's the only time it seemed like Uma Thurman was having any fun in this movie. It's the only time it, she seemed to be, you know, someone that I actually recognized as Uma Thurman when she's doing this over-the-top action scene. The rest of the time, she's, like everyone else in this movie, is just bland. I agree with you. I actually did like that little moment. It's, and it's only, I mean, blink and you miss it, but she does use the robotic arm to grab a gun out of a bad guy's hand and hand it to Ben Affleck. I thought that was funny. Yeah. But you're right. She's a wimp. It's almost like when I've seen Hong Kong movies before, I've got to say their characterization of women in the ones that I've seen anyone, they tend to be really mousy and dainty and easily cried. And, you know, they just love their man so much. They'll do anything they say without concern to their own life or career or anything. And it's a really, I don't know, almost demeaning role. And, and here, here she is. She's supposed to be this smart biologist who's creating these wonderful things with this company, and she throws it all away because he writes something on her mirror, and she loves him so much. I mean, what a wimp. She starts off so tough and blows him off at a party and, and does all this tough talk. And literally, end, literally blows him off in the laboratory with her wind machine. <laughs> yes. but, but I got to say, this is not the Uma Thurman of Kill Bill. This is not the Uma Thurman man-eater avenging superhero woman. She is a real wimp in this movie and it's no fun to watch her she even get at one point in desperation i feels like she probably as an actor went to john woo and said can i at least wield this pipe and they have her carrying <laughs> around this giant enormous pipe for a while and and she doesn't even you know, like i think they use it the pry open uh great or something like that but she doesn't even get to do one good fight here i mean she's totally worthless in every capacity i don't know why the character is here nothing that she's doing helps affleck achieve anything that he's going to do i guess it's just because it's a hollywood movie and the hero must have a woman to be with at the end of the movie yeah the big thing that we haven't talked about yet is we kind of touched on it is the whole movie after ben affleck gets his memory erased and all that jazz is that he sent himself these 20 items in a folder and every situation he comes up against, he happens to pull out the exact item he needs at the moment he needs it to figure out how to use it. And as Jacob mentioned earlier, it's a bunch of coincidences how everything comes into play. For example, he realizes that he built a machine about the future because he just happens to be at the restaurant with Paul Giamatti telling him, I need help. The lottery numbers come on the screen, and he has on the back of Chinese fortune cookie, the numbers match exactly. That sort of thing. It's completely crazy. So if this entire movie is supposed to be about action scenes that we all care about, and we just talked about how we just, the action scenes don't connect with us, the hook of the movie is how he figures out how these seemingly unconnected objects work to his advantage to get himself out of the trouble he's going to get himself in. But the problem here lies in the future machine, is that if he knows, he must have gone through the future machine 20, 25 times. 
because you're in every scenario. Okay, is the right. paper clip going to work this time, or should I use a uh, a fortune from a, a fortune telling cookie? What what should I use? Okay, if that <laughs> works now, should I use the Marlboros or the Camel cigarettes for this scenario? Well, my, yeah, it's like if you use the paper clip and get yourself out of that situation, then you watch what happens. And say, oh crap, I got in this situation. Now, what else do I need? Okay, oh, so the paper clip got me shot and killed on the street instead of in the subway. Now I need to make sure I have a silver dollar to jam this. You know what I'm saying? So he had to go through and see what situation created what situation, what begat, what begot what. Does the time machine even do that? I don't even it know. Would, I know. It would create so many alternate realities if they went that way. But perhaps he watched his future like a movie and saw everything that he used and said, I need to pick up all of this stuff to make sure that I have it to do that. That's kind of how I thought they were they were going with it. It wasn't so much that he created, he tested it and said, I'll do it this way, and then saw what became of it and went, no. Okay. It was more like, oh, well, here's everything is predetermined, and I'm going to use all of these things, so I best be sure to put them in an envelope and mail them to myself. Which, can I just say, why does he mail it to him? Why don't they just hand it to him? I know, because he's got to have stamps that have tiny photographs of the world blowing up. That he'll find out later. It's it's also contrived and happenstance and and all of these things that magically come into play that are supposed to make sense actually never make sense. So if he mails himself all these items, the end of the movie he has that watch that we talked about earlier that fits him perfectly. It tells him to go at the exact moment. The alarm goes off at the exact moment when the bullet was going to hit him that he saw and he and Aaron Eckhart saw shooting him at the end of the movie on the catwalk, right? If he had mailed himself that watch to get himself out of that situation, Aaron Eckhart couldn't have seen Ben Affleck get shot on the catwalk. He would have seen himself get shot in the catwalk. We've been through this a thousand times with time travel. We talked about this on Terminator and Back to the Future. Future-seeking time travel stuff. It always gets in these kind of weird situations. But if this movie up to that point had got us going and into the movie, we would have forgiven that little bit of information just because it made for a better movie. Unfortunately, this wasn't the movie for it. So the the gimmick of this plot, of all these things in this folder, completely doesn't work at all. So what we're left with is a jumbled bit of bad acting, bad direction, and a plot that doesn't make any sense with a gimmick that doesn't pay off. It's a mess. The whole, I guess, theme of this movie is that if you know the future then it becomes inevitable. It will come to pass, which is weird because in Minority Report, the whole theme was if you know the future, then you have the freedom to change it. This this goes the opposite route. So Jennings knows the future. He knows he's going to get shot. He's trying to stop this future-seeing machine so w- nuclear war doesn't break out, and yet he subverts that whole theme of if you know the future, it's going to come about by actually seeing the future, knowing it, and then still changing it anyway, because he set his alarm at the right time. It goes against the logic of the movie, and I'm I, I, I hesitant to use the word logic with paycheck, but it, <laughs> it, it, because this movie has so little of it, but uh, it, it just it subverts itself and just goes against everything it's trying to tell the audience. Right. The future is, is already set in stone. There's nothing you can do about it. If you know what the future is, you're destined to create it, except when you're Ben Affleck and you decide you can have a second chance and not get killed and end up with the chick at the end. I mean, it's, it's so phony baloney. It, it sets up things and then changes its own rules. It's really a smack to the face. It, it hurts your head. It doesn't reward thinking about it. It's not any fun to watch either. I got to say this. 
why if you had a machine if you were building a machine and presumably only you knew how this worked and you could see this horrible future why wouldn't you just destroy the machine then why did he go through this whole plot of allowing himself to have his memory wiped and then piecing it all together in his amnesiac state later and coming back and breaking back into the building to destroy it when you're standing there and you could have destroyed it right there. And the only answer I came up to that, the only reason why is because I'm a schmuck that wants to win the lottery. That's the only well, reason not to do that is that he can figure out what the lot winning lottery numbers are later and put a t- uh, that winning ticket underneath the birdcage newspaper and become a multimillionaire. Well, la-di-da, you get to stop the nuclear apocalypse and get $90 million. Here's the thing, though. He already planted a bug when he built the system so it wouldn't work. He couldn't have just built a better virus that would have just erased the entire system or something. I mean, if he you had wanted just, to stop the system – bug on there. If you wanted to stop the system, there's a lot easier ways than putting a pack of cigarettes. You know FBI agents are going to trigger a smoke alarm that's going to get you out of their clutches and back into – I mean, you know, I can't even repeat this plot. It's so twisted and convoluted and, and so not predicated on what would actually happen if it were there. I mean, there's no reason to think that if a Fed used smoked your pack of cigarettes indoors, it would create a scenario – in which you would escape with your super cool glasses looking through exhaust smoke that no one else could see. It's just not what would happen in any future. I mean, it's painful. In the folder, there's actually a key card that lets people into the doors of this facility. You would think that they would inspect this folder. That's why he probably had to mail it, Stuart, so they wouldn't he would get away with that. But the contents in this folder, I thought, were supposed to be innocuous, so no one looking at the folder or searching the folder would figure out that these things mean something, right? So how would he get the key to the door at the airport if he is locked in this facility for three years? Now, Uma Thurman is able to escape pretty easily. If Ben Affleck was able to escape easily and get a key to the door at the airport, say, or wherever the hell that was, train station, whatever, why wouldn't he just tell the cops or the feds when he was out getting the key made what the hell was going on? So the whole thing is crazy. (laughs) And not to mention how easy you've made it for yourself. All these supposedly things that will magically help you work. Oh, and the key to the door. That's going to get you to the machine. I mean, well, that's not so innocuous. Why would they let him have that? And certainly, once they figure out that he has it, because they do a scenario. This scene actually should have worked. It was kind of cool conceptually. Uh, ben Affleck's character is at a cafe waiting for Rachel to arrive. And rather than come in with machine guns and kill him, they send in a doppelganger because his memory's been wiped. He doesn't know exactly what Rachel looks like. So they send in someone that looks pretty close to Rachel to pick his brain, and she sees the key card. Okay, you've seen the number on it. You know that he has a key card. Deactivate that. You know he's going to come in to your lab with that key card. Do not let him. But no, they don't. <laughs> and, they, and they end up breaking in with the magical power of metal ball bearings and that key card. They manage to break into this impenetrable company and blow up the future predicting device. That scene, Stuart, with the lady coming in pretending to be Rachel, I kind of felt sorry for the Ben Affleck character because in that scene, in thinking, wow, that's really smart. What a great way to stop this entire thing. They can make him think 
this person's helping him when really they're not. And it could have been really fun to play with that. Who do I trust? Who do I not trust? And the folder full of contents could have helped him do that as well. And such a lame way out of it. Like, he ends up kissing her and going, no, that kiss isn't right. I wouldn't have loved someone that kissed me like this. I mean, it's such a, what? I mean, he he saw the contact lens. contact slip. I mean, this guy has could really focus in on eyes. He sees the contact slip, which doesn't make sense because if if he doesn't remember Rachel, well, why is he going to remember the color of his eyes? Yeah, I mean, it's eyes. And then he notices like these tiny little specks on the the George Washington stamp in his eye, and that's how he gets a clue to zoom in on those to figure out you know what's going. On. I mean, this Ben Affleck character. I mean, he he he's like a dream to the ladies. He really focuses on those eyes. <laughs> Stuart, I hear you're going to talk about this story on some other podcast. Yes. Books and Nachos, we're reviewing all of the original source material. And this is a short story that's about 40 pages long. So here, here's my question. I want to see what you guys thought, because we've talked a lot with Screamers and Imposter, how they kind of fail to connect to any you know, social consciousness, any, you know, any of the current political situations, you know, the post-9-11 world, those kind of things. And I felt this story, this film, was maybe a victim of being too close to the politics of the time. And if you read the story, again, the government's kind of like, they seem kind of tyrannical, and the the company, the Allcom company in the story, they're actually secretly, they're kind of the good guys, actually. They're actually raising like this terrorist army when the apocalypse breaks out to take control of the world and create this better tomorrow, which in 2003, there's no way you could do a sympathetic terrorist story. Uh, in the U.S. And isn't this movie all – and I'm going to one-up Sarah Palin here because I, I know what the Bush doctrine is. It's all about preemptive strikes. Is this movie – I mean is it afraid to go against what, what the popular political feeling was at the time where we got to strike out against uh, Iraq, against Afghanistan before they strike us again? They have these weapons of mass destruction. We know it, and we're going to go and start a war with them before they could start one with us because that's the whole – plot of this movie is that the u.s or or the you know the government starts this preemptive war because they saw war break out in the future and that leads to the this nuclear fallout in the future i mean i really felt that this it didn't want to offend any of the the political sensibilities of the time and and it really played it safe and i I thought it hurt the story it offended me that's all (laughs) i can say I don't know. I don't know that there is a political agenda here. I don't know how you would turn this into any kind of commentary on what was going. It seems to operate in its own realm, breathing its own oxygen. I mean, it just it doesn't have a logic that connects to anything. I mean, these are obviously human beings running around on something they call Earth, but I have never <laughs> seen anything like this, and I felt completely distanced and divorced from everything that I watched. Perhaps it would have been better if it was on Sirius 6B. <laughs> anyway. So I don't know why I have to ask at this point except for tradition, and it's how we end the show. Stuart, Jacob, do you recommend Paycheck? Stuart. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm going to be brief about this. At a certain key moment, Rachel asked Jennings, they're musing about destiny and all the of the philip k dick themes she comes back with the retort some of the best things in life are total mistakes which i suppose would make paycheck one of life's greatest movies (laughs) no i don't recommend it (laughs) 
Uh, Jacob? I don't remember the film. Paul Giamatti has been burning my memory as we've been speaking. No, come on. I mean, here's the thing. With Screamers, there's potential for a good story there. I, I enjoyed that potential. There were some great, well, not great, but there were some satisfactory action scenes. So I didn't recommend that one, but I was close to recommending it. Even with Imposter, even though I hated that movie, you know, we talked about how there was a good film in there. This, man, you really have to rewrite this entire script to find anything good. I mean, there, there's a very thin plot, you know, a guy forfeits a paycheck and, and kind of knows the future and comes up. You know, we've talked about ways they could have improved this story, but there's just, there's nothing good. I don't even know why this movie exists. Like, I, I can understand why Screamers and Imposter exist. I don't know why this one exists. It's, it's totally forgettable. No, I don't recommend it. I thought I might have seen this movie before after watching it because I forgot it, and this movie's completely forgettable. Folks, I have a machine here that predicts the future oh. when I put my palm on it, and it says to me, if you watch this movie, you will not like it. <laughs> this movie sucks, okay? I do not recommend Paycheck. Not a good movie. So if you enjoyed this podcast, please listen to our other Philip K. Dick podcasts. We have all of the episodes in this series are available in our archive section on our webpage. And at our webpage, you can also find a link to our forums. Our homepage is nowplayingpodcast.com. Don't forget to go to booksandnachos.com. It's books and nachos spelled out to hear Stuart's reviews of all of the short stories these movies are based on. And perhaps you'll like the original story of Paycheck better than the movie. Can't imagine you'd like it worse. And please find us on Facebook. Go to iTunes and leave us a positive review if you're enjoying this series. And don't forget, we have lots of other movie series available in our archive section. We have Back to the Future, Terminator. We have A Nightmare on Elm Street. A whole bunch of different kind of series. Check them out. All available at nowplayingpodcast.com. All right, Stuart, Jacob, we are coming near the end here. And our next movie is... we got a Pixar movie next, yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> it's animated, isn't it? We're watching a cartoon. All I know is if it's not any better, I'm going to want a paycheck. Somebody's going to have to pay me to sit through this because I can't do any more Ben Affleck action movies. Well, thankfully, it's not a Ben Affleck action movie. It's called A Scanner Darkly, which I believe is what they call rotoscoped. I could be wrong about that. But we'll have to find out all about A Scanner Darkly on our next podcast. We'll see you then. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing's Philip K. Dick Retrospective Series. The best mindfuck yet. You can find the other episodes of the Philip K. Dick Retrospective Series at nowplayingpodcast.com in the archive section, as well as our reviews of other classic movie series including Predator, Terminator, Star Trek, Rambo, The Karate Kid, A Nightmare on Elm Street, and many more. No doubt the precogs have already seen this. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a positive review on iTunes. A link to our iTunes feed can be found at our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. You can also support Now Playing by making a donation using the donate button at the bottom of our homepage. Your donations help keep Now Playing on the air. We hope you enjoyed the ride! <laughs> you can follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where the hosts post movie mini-reviews, as well as announcements of new episodes. Links to our social media pages can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com. Now Playing presents the Philip K. Dick Retrospective Series podcasts are edited by Jay. I've seen every possible ending here. None of them are good for you. 
The films discussed in this series are the intellectual property of their respective trademark holders, and no infringement is intended. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individual hosts, and may not reflect the opinions of Venganza Media Incorporated. The pre-callers are never wrong, but occasionally they do disagree. Now playing is copyright and trademark Venganza Media Incorporated, 2011, all rights reserved. It's it's Ben Affleck. He's so hot. <laughs> anyway, oh, have you sorry. seen Armageddon? <laughs> I mean, Liv Tyler. Oh, I love what you said. <laughs> Burning minds the Giamatti way. That just it's like an infomercial. <laughs> Jacob, was that a book on tape? By the way, the Stephen Hawking, or did you actually read it? Discovery actually has a Stephen Hawking show, and I get really upset because it starts off with his voice, and then they fade it into like this British accent. It, uh, I, I think I think he's I got like a better speaking voice. voice than Affleck. <laughs> yeah, much much more emotion in uh, Stephen Hawking's voice than Affleck. Yeah. Real. I'd rather have him running around the subway station than Affleck. I feel like John Woo is like them. He's just like throw some ball bearings on the floor, create chaos, and maybe they won't notice that nothing in my movie makes any sense. I mean, I'm wondering if this was even. Does he read English? Did he like, or did he just look at the storyboards and say, "I want to make that movie"? Because this, uh, you would think that someone never read the script while they were making it. You dogged imposter, but that looks like genius compared to this. <laughs> <laughs> well, if I had seen this movie before I saw Imposter, I wouldn't have dogged it so bad. That's true. I know. <laughs>